Chapter Six of Bill the Conqueror. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Bill the Conqueror by P. G. Woodhouse. Horace changes his mind. Mr. Cooley Paradine's pleasant domain at Westbury, Long Island, dozed in the April sunshine it was the sort of day when any ordinary man would have been out in god's air but mr paradine being a book collector was spending the afternoon in his library in front of him as he sat at his desk lay the most recent additions to his collection the necessity of glancing at dipping into blowing spots of dust off and fondling these was interfering very much with the task he had on hand at the moment to wit the writing of a letter to his old friend sinclair hammond of holly house wimbledon england at the point where we discover him he had indeed got no further than the words my dear hammond he now assumed an expression of resolution and dipping his pen in the ink-pot began to tackle his task squarely my dear hammond thank you for your letter which reached me a week ago and many thanks for again inviting me to pay you a visit i am glad to say that at last i am able to accept your very kind hospitality unless anything occurs to alter my plans i propose to sail for england about the middle of next month i am looking forward with the greatest eagerness to seeing you again i shall have one or two nice little things to show you at the sale of the mortimer collection i was lucky enough to secure quite cheap only eight thousand dollars browning's own copy of pauline saunders and otley eighteen thirty three also browning's own copy of paracelsus e wilson eighteen thirty five and of strafford longman's eighteen thirty seven i am sure too you will appreciate another capture of mine the autograph manuscript of don juan canto nine this is entirely in byron's handwriting and is the only canto lacking in pierpont morgan's collection i would not take twenty thousand dollars for it i have also a few other good things which i will show you when we meet since writing to you last i have you may be interested to hear adopted a son a splendid little fellow a knock at the door interrupted his writing mr paradine looked up come in the english language is so nicely adapted to the expression of delicate shades of meaning that it is perhaps slovenly to be satisfied with describing the noise that had broken in on mr paradine's composition as a knock the word bang more nearly fits it and mr paradine frowned with quick displeasure he was not accustomed to having his hermit's cell battered upon in this fashion his surprise when the opening door revealed roberts the butler was extreme if there is one class of the community that has reduced knocking on doors to a nice art it is butlers roberts discreet tap had been until this moment a thing that blended with rather than disturbed the thoughts only some great emotion felt mr paradine could have caused him to slam the panel with such vehement impetuosity and the next moment the sunlight falling on the butler's face as he moved forward showed that his suspicion had been correct roberts was foaming at the mouth 
the expression foaming at the mouth is so often used to suggest a merely mental condition that it must be stated that in the present instance it is employed perfectly literally a bubbly yellowish-white froth covered the lower part of the butler's face and when he removed this with a vicious dab of his handkerchief other bubbles immediately presented themselves had roberts been a dog mr paradine would undoubtedly have been justified in shooting him on sight as he was a man and a trusted employee at that he simply stared dumbly might i speak to you sir said roberts thickly what on earth began mr paradine i would like to be informed sir if master horace is to be a permanency in this household mr paradine hearing these words felt like one who sees looming above the horizon a cloud no bigger than a man's hand they struck him as significant and sinister for there was that in the butler's tone that suggested disapproval of that splendid little fellow his adopted son mr paradine's mouth tightened he was an obstinate man disapproval of horace affected him personally it implied criticism of his action in bringing him into the home and he resented criticism of his actions whether implied or spoken he most certainly is he replied curtly then said the butler blowing bubbles i must ask you to accept my resignation sir it speaks well for the benevolence of mr paradine's domestic rule that this kind of announcement was an astonishing rarity in his life once in his house servants were as a rule only too glad to stay he had had only two cooks in fourteen years while as for roberts that excellent man had joined up nearly eight summers ago and had looked until this moment as solid a fixture as the pillars that upheld the front porch to see this devoted retainer blowing bubbles at him and talking of resigning his position afflicted mr paradine with a horrible sense of being in the toils of some disordered dream what was all he could find to say the sadness of this parting after so long and happy a union seemed to affect the butler too his manner became less severe and his voice took on a tone of pathos i regret this sir deeply he said nobody could have been more comfortable in a situation than i have been in your service sir but remain in the house if master horace is to continue here i cannot and will not the hasty and imperious side of mr paradine's nature urged him to close this interview at once by withering the man with a few well-chosen words and sending him about his business but curiosity was too strong for him if he allowed roberts to leave him without explaining the bubbles he would worry himself into a premature grave the thing would become one of those great historic mysteries which fret the souls of men through the ages what's your objection to master horace he forced himself to inquire roberts plied his handkerchief daintily for a few moments my 
objection, sir, is both general and particular. What the devil do you mean by that? demanded Mr. Paradine, bewildered. If I might explain, sir. Go ahead. Downstairs, sir, we do not like Master Horace's manner. One of the lower servants summed it up in a happy phrase not many days ago when he described the young gentleman as too darned fresh. We have so much affection, if I may take the liberty of saying so, for yourself, sir, that we have endeavoured hitherto to bear this without complaint. But now things have gone too far. Mr. Paradine leaned forward in his chair imperiousness had vanished and curiosity occupied his mind to the exclusion of every other emotion at last he felt roberts was about to speak freely of the bubbles a few days ago i refused to permit master horace to raid the larder for food quite right agreed mr paradine makes him fat he appeared at the time to take this in a mutinous spirit he called me one or two names which said roberts brooding coldly i have not forgotten but this afternoon just before he went out for his walk with mr bastable he approached me with an apology so amiable and apparently sincere that i had no alternative but to accept it he then offered me an attractive-looking piece of candy, sir. This I also accepted. I have a sweet tooth. I did not immediately eat it, partly because I had only recently finished a hearty meal, and partly because Master Horace specifically urged me to save it up. But when I... Mr. Paradine was an oldish man, but he had been a boy once. A dazzling light shone on his darkness. "'Good gad!' he exclaimed. "'You don't mean there was soap in it?' "'Exactly, sir,' foamed the butler. There was a pregnant silence. For a moment Mr. Paradine was, curiously enough, not so much shocked and horrified, as filled with a sort of subtle melancholy, the feeling which the ancient Romans used to call desiderium. "'It must be fifty years,' he murmured wistfully, "'since I played that trick on anyone.' "'I,' said the butler with austerity, "'have never played it, nor had it played on me. It came as a complete surprise.' "'Too bad.' said Mr. Paradine, returning from the past and overcoming with some difficulty a desire to give way to a mirth which would obviously be ill-timed. Too bad. Young rascal, I'll have a talk with him. Of course, one can see the thing from his viewpoint. I fear I am unable to do so, sir, said Roberts stiffly i mean boys will be boys the butler expressed his disapproval of this too tolerant philosophy with a lift of the eyebrow so chilling that mr paradine continued hastily don't think i am excusing him 
nothing of the kind can't have that sort of thing certainly not but good gracious roberts you don't want to throw up an excellent situation simply because i am leaving with the greatest regret sir i assure you nonsense nonsense you aren't leaving at all of course you aren't i couldn't get on for a day without you it is very kind of you to say so sir said the butler beginning to melt i'll see the boy and make him apologize apologize humbly that will make everything all right eh well sir and you'll give up all this nonsense about leaving well if you wish it sir wish it of course i wish it good heavens you've been with me eight years you go back to the pantry and get yourself a good drink you're very kind sir and listen roberts it's only fair that i should pay some sort of indemnity like a nation does when one of its subjects starts something in another country eh there'll be an extra ten dollars in the monthly envelope from now on leave me indeed i never heard such nonsense the butler who like the month of march had come in like a lion went out like a lamb leaving his employer chewing his pen mr paradine was worried he hated to confess it even in the privacy of self-communion but he was disappointed in horace he had not yet actually adopted the boy with full formality of legal papers but the fact that he had proclaimed him as his adopted son made it impossible for a man of his obstinacy to draw back and it was beginning to come home to him that the whole business had been a blunder a magnificent gesture true and one that had most satisfactorily stunned brother-in-law jasper and the rest of those grasping sycophants but nevertheless a blunder yes he feared he had been too impulsive impulsiveness had always been his besetting fault from boyhood up he was trying to divert his thoughts from this unpleasant matter by finishing his letter to sinclair hammond when they were jerked back to their original channel by the sight through the open window of horace himself returning from his afternoon walk with mr sherman bastable his tutor he watched the couple cross the lawn and disappear round the corner of the house horace he noted had a weary and sullen mien in marked contrast to mr bastable's buoyant freshness the tutor was a lean and enthusiastic young man just down from the university who preferred brisk walking to any other method of locomotion horace to judge from his expression and his drooping slouch did not share his views it had frequently annoyed mr paradine that his son by adoption though of a chunky and athletic build seemed to like to spend his time lolling in easy-chairs this he felt was not the spirit that makes supermen and quick irritation gripped him once more he was still brooding fretfully on the boy's shortcomings when there was a sudden rushing noise without and mr bastable burst into the room mr paradine shouted the tutor in a high impassioned tenor i will not put up with it mr paradine was dumbfounded 
hitherto he had always found sherman bastable an exceptionally civil and soft-spoken young fellow but now the man was transformed his tone was one that would have excited comment in the forecastle if used by the second mate of a tramp steamer his face was flushed and contorted and as he spoke he thumped the desk violently i've had enough of it he bellowed mr paradine stared at him and staring became aware of something which in his first astonishment he had overlooked he had felt vaguely right from the start that there was an oddness about the tutor's appearance and now he realized what had given him this impression sherman bastable in his employer's private and sacred library was wearing his hat the spectacle brought mr paradine already simmering to the boiling point it has got to stop cried the tutor take off your hat said mr paradine the words designed to bring the young man to himself in a rush of shamed embarrassment had the odd effect of amusing him at least he laughed but it was a hideous hollow laugh that seemed wrenched from his very vitals <laughs> i like that he cried that's good take off my hat yes that's rich you're drunk said mr paradine purpling i'm not you must be you rush in here with your hat on yes said mr bastable bitterly i do and perhaps you'd like to know why because i can't get the thing off without skinning my forehead that little brute of a boy has gone and rubbed glue all round the inside band and now it's melted and i want to tell you mr paradine the things mr bastable wanted to and did tell his employer were so numerous and couched in language so harsh and unguarded that one is forced to omit them his final utterance spoken a brief instant before he slammed the door is the only one that need be recorded i'm through said mr bastable you can accept my resignation i wouldn't stay here another day if you paid me a million dollars the bang of the door died away leaving a quivering silence mr paradine stood for a moment plunged in thought then going to a closet he took out a long slim cane and having swished this musically through the air once or twice strode rapidly from the room out in the garden meanwhile in the shade of a large locust tree that stood near a handsome shrubbery of rhododendrons the cause of all these upheavals in the home was relaxing after the fatigues of his afternoon walk his young body at ease in a deck-chair and his feet restfully supported by a small rustic table the boy horace lay with closed eyes restoring his tissues beside him on the turf a glass empty except for a fragment of ice spoke pleasantly of past lemonade and a close observer might have detected cake crumbs on the lad's waistcoat everything was jake with horace the warm sunshine invited slumber 
and it was not immediately that the soft whistling from the shrubbery succeeded in penetrating to his consciousness for some time the boy had attributed the sound to one of the birds that ranged the garden but presently it became so persistent as to interfere with sleep he opened his eyes and gazed drowsily in the direction from which it seemed to proceed having done this he became aware of a face peering at him out of the rhododendrons one uses the word face in a loose sense what met horace's eyes was a mere congeries of features apparently carelessly assembled by an inexpert hand few of them making any pretence of matching one another the nose appeared to have been designed for a far smaller man whereas the chin which jutted out like the cowcatcher of a train would have caught the eye if attached to the body of a giant the forehead a narrow strip of territory separating the eyebrows from the fringe was flanked by enormous ears that stood out at a majestic right angle to see this strange facial hash protruding from a rhododendron bush might have startled many people horace bore the spectacle with calm almost with indifference he yawned oh, hello joe he said it's you is it yes it's me replied the other in a voice of marked surliness i've come to find out what you're doing and i find you doing what i might have expected i'd find you doing doing nothing i'm concentrating said horace casually joe the dip for the visitor was none other looked up and down the quiet garden and satisfied that it was empty emerged cautiously from his bush now that the whole of him had become visible his social status was even more obvious than before a criminal evidently and belonging one would have said to the executive rather than the organizing branch of his particular gang if you wanted a man to scheme out some subtle confidence game you would pass over joe but if on the other hand the task on the program involved the sandbagging of somebody down a dark alley then you would beckon to joe with an immediate eureka in build he was a solid man of medium height with thick and stooping shoulders his feet were large and flat concentratin eh he observed bitterly that's about the best thing you do ain't it see here kid i've made a long trip out to this joint to get next to use and what i want to know is how about it the boss is getting worried yeah said horace we're all getting worried you got it soft ain't you sitting pretty in this swell home living off the fat of the land i don't eat fat it's about all you don't eat i know yous lazy that's what you are if i'd been here instead of you i'd have got action long ago you would eh yes i would what's keepin yous what's the snag horace settled down more deeply into his deck chair and eyed his interrogator calmly i've been thinkin he said you've got no time for that sort of thing said joe the dip reprovingly 
we got to get a move on thinking proceeded horace whether we really want to rob mr paradine what gasped joe thinking what i've been going to the movie house down in the village and it seems to me it don't pay to be a crook no sir every crook that reforms always turns up in a dress suit in the last reel joe licked his lips feverishly he seemed to be feeling that a stricter censorship was needed for the motion picture industry there was one i saw last night continued horace dreamily where an ugly bad-tempered crook puts a kid up to stealing from an old gentleman kind of coincidence wasn't it yeah well the fellow he's robbing catches him and says that he's a big crook himself and he wants the kid to go to some town and get the reputation of being the honestest young man in the place and then he'll come and spring something really big and the kid goes and he does and the big crook comes and says now's the time and the kid says no i'm honest and i like it because i'm president of the bank and everything and the big crook says thank god i only did the whole thing to try and make you an honest man what do you think of that i think it's terrible said joe with emotion he stared at his young friend breathing heavily well if you really want to know said horace chuckling unfeelingly i was only kidding when i said that was why i didn't want to rob old paradine joe heaved a sigh of relief oh if you was only kidding the real reason why i'm not going to eh? cried joe starting violently i say the real reason why i'm not going to is what you said yourself just now you said i was sitting pretty and so i am gee i should be a fine chump i should doing anything that'd make me have to duck out of a swell joint like this this is my dish you've got me adopted by this rich millionaire and i'm going to stay adopted why you poor simp you've got about as much chance of having me sneak those books for you as well i don't know what i'm here and i'm going to stay here and if you want those books you come and break in and pinch em for yourself as far as i'm concerned the thing's cold joe the dip as has been pointed out was not a man of swift intelligence the problems created by this appalling treachery on the part of his young ally were altogether too much for him this situation made him dizzy he was still wondering how this news was to be broken to the boss and what the boss a man who disliked having his schemes go wrong would say about it when the sight of a figure coming out of the house drove him quickly back into the shelter of the rhododendrons he crouched there an unhappy man the figure that had interrupted joe the dip's train of thought was that of mr paradine with cane complete the walk down the stairs and out into the garden had served only to intensify the wrath of that injured man his eyes as he stalked across the lawn were gleaming fiercely and his mouth was tightly clamped mr paradine was on the warpath 
horace snuggling contentedly in his deck-chair watched his approach without qualms no sense of coming peril disturbed his peace the conscience of youth is not tender and horace's spoke no word of warning now hello pop he said amiably mr paradine was a man of action i'll teach you to feed my butler soap and put glue in your tutor's hat he said and with this brief preamble embarked forthwith on the lesson it was not a simple task to try to inject sweetness and light into a boy of horace's hard-boiled temperament but what one man armed with a springy wangy could do mr paradine did a stranger passing coolly paradine with a casual glance in the street might have thought his physique too slight for any violent muscular effort horace after the first few moments could have corrected this impression but then he was getting first-hand information there said mr paradine at length desisting it shows how diametrically opposed two persons views can be on any given point that horace's new father was dissatisfied with his work he chafed at the inroads made by advancing years on a once wiry frame and considered that heaviness of arm and scantness of breath had caused him to stop much too soon horace was not seeing eye to eye with him in this matter whatever his views on mr paradine's lesson in deportment and he had many he certainly did not think that there had not been enough of it <sighs> there said mr paradine again breathing heavily and turning on his heel he stalked back to the house not until he was out of sight did joe the dip venture to leave the shelter of the rhododendrons but when it was plain that the intruder had definitely withdrawn he came out of his retirement his face wreathed with unwonted smiles his young friend's yelps of anguish had been music to the ears of joe the dip he had only regretted that the social convenances should have rendered it inadvisable for him to emerge and lend a hand in the good work he surveyed horace contentedly laugh that off <laughs> observed joe with quiet relish serves you right for being a little double-crosser horace gritted his teeth he was still somewhat stunned by the dreadful unexpectedness of the recent massacre deceived by the benevolent exterior of mr paradine he had not suspected the existence of these hidden fires beneath the surface who's a double-crosser he demanded warmly you are said joe the dip and say listen if it had a been me behind that stick you wouldn't have got off with a few taps like that if there's one bozo in this world i got no use for it's a little squite that double crosses his pals horace glared this censure stung him for now he felt that it was unjust in the last few minutes his views on existence in the paradine home had undergone a striking alteration he had mistaken it after a too superficial inspection for an earthly paradise he now realized that there were attached to it drawbacks of the most pronounced kind 
trouble cross nothing he exclaimed heatedly you can go back and tell the boss that i'll have those books he's so crazy about if i have to dig em out with a chisel leave it to me i'm in this game now to get action atta boy cried joe the dip enthusiastically that's the way i like to hear you talk end of chapter six